Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, thanks for being here today. This is part three of our Strong to Do Good, and um, I'm excited to share, Pastor John shared in week one, that we're really not that strong. It's only able to do the good that God called us to do with His power, and last week He reminded us that we're only able to do that when we think about the right things, and today I want to share how we'll do the most good when we're together, right? We'll do the most good when we're together, and so if... um, you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to Acts chapter 18, and we'll be there in just a minute. One of the biggest challenges that the United States faced as they entered into World War II was the logistical challenge of moving troops and supplies across the Atlantic. And as they did this, it was not only a challenge logistically, but also from a security standpoint, because as they moved those supplies across, there was an area that was known as the Black Pit. And the Black Pit was the area in which there was no longer air cover from the United States or from the Royal Air Force, and they were against themselves, against themselves, they were against the uh, German U-boats. And so many ships were lost as they made their way across what was known as the Black Pit. But what was interesting was how much coordination this took in order just to get simple supplies and troops across the Atlantic. You had the logistics of getting them all on the ships here in the United States, traveling across with battleships on each side of a a flotilla of ships. And then you also had the Royal Air Force that had to be coordinated. You had the Polish Air Force that had to be coordinated. You had the Spanish Air Force that had to be coordinated. So there's three languages. They're all trying to protect this group of ships that are going across. And if you've seen the movie Greyhound with Tom Hanks, it gives a great depiction of how this happens as they make their way across the Black Pit. But it took such coordination And it took such teamwork of everyone playing their part in order for just the supplies to get to the war, let alone to go fight and actually do something in the war. And if if you've seen that movie, you see how much it took of everybody playing their part in order for that to happen. Well, the church is a lot like that too. In order for the church to function well, everyone has to play their part. And if we're going to do the most good together, it's going to take everybody playing their part and doing what God has called you to do in order for all of it to go well. Now, maybe over the past nine months, you've bought into this idea that you're really better off alone. And maybe you've been quarantined and you had to be. Um, and maybe you've bought into it because in high school you were part of group projects and you realized that was always a disaster because there was the one guy who didn't want to be there. There was the one guy who really tried hard that everybody copied off of. Then there was the other guy that that he was just there because the cute girl was there. And you're just against this type of activity. Here's the thing I love about God. God never asks you to do something he doesn't show you how to do. God never asks you to do something he doesn't show you how to do. So the life of Jesus, the one person who didn't need people, arguably, spent his time with people. And for some reason, we've allowed the cultural designations of extrovert and introvert to to pathway how we live our lives, and which in a sense is okay, but really what we're called to do is to be together. And the one person who didn't need people surrounded himself with a lot of crazy people, 
And it's a pattern for you and for me. And not only do we see it in Jesus' life, but we see it throughout the New Testament. And I want to spend some time in Acts chapter 18 today because we get a, a great snapshot of what it means to live together and the possibilities that we have if we will tap into um, the greatest group project ever. Now, I hesitate to say it's the greatest group project because there's all the negative connotations. But if you were ever part of a good group, you know that it actually was easier. It's just for most of us, we're not a part of good groups, and we have that negative connotation in our head. And so I want you to push back against that if you're like, I don't want to hear about how we should work together because it doesn't go well. Um, push against that today as I'm speaking, and uh, hopefully God will work in your heart to help you see that this is really what he's created us to do. Paul was at the end of his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 18. And at the end of his second missionary journey, we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that he was dejected, he was depressed, he was just done. He, had, he was tired, everything was going wrong, and he makes his way and he goes into the town of Athens. Now, Athens was the cultural center, right? Just a great group of people, and he makes this incredible sermon, and it falls pretty much on deaf ears. And, and nobody, I mean, there's a few people who turn and follow Jesus, but not what he was hoping for. So he makes his way out of Athens, and he makes his way 40 miles to the east, and he makes his way into Corinth, and Corinth was the Vegas of their day, and, and then some, and, and so he comes from the cultural elite to the, to the epicenter of transportation and, and just a whole bunch of other problems, and that's where we pick up the account in Acts chapter 18. He's discouraged, and in Acts chapter 18, it says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to him, "'Your blood be on your own heads.'" I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and said, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Paul makes his way into Corinth, and in, like I said, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we find out he is, he is done, spent, over, ready to give up. And Paul encounters Priscilla and Aquila as he comes into Corinth. Now, Priscilla and Aquila, God uses people often to encourage us, and Priscilla and Aquila had been expelled from Rome. Claudius decided that all the Jews needed to leave Rome because the Jews were nothing but problems. And some people believe that many of them had started to become Christians. Whatever the reason, they were expelled. And I want you to think about that for a moment because they were told they had to leave their country, leave their area, and go somewhere else. So you have the dejected Paul off of his, most of the way through his second missionary journey, and you have the people who were just told they had to leave their home. What an incredible reminder for you and I this week to be grateful for the country we live in, but also perspective of the country we live in because this country is not our home. And Claudius 
kicks out the Jews, and Priscilla and Aquila, it says, make their way into to Corinth there as well. And it says in verse 3 or 2 that Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. The kingdom of God is a small world, so to speak, and it's often where these people come together that some of the greatest amount of encouragement happens. Paul meets them, and it's, you can imagine it, it he, they're Christians, he's a Christian. They're tent makers, he's a tent maker. He's tired and wore out, they're tired and wore out. And it turns out that God brings this couple to Paul, a single man, to encourage him to keep going. And we know that this is important because Priscilla and Aquila later were told in Romans that they were willing to give up their lives in order to protect Paul. The amount of camaraderie and encouragement this must have been to the Apostle Paul is such an encouragement to you and to I. That community is a two-way street, right? It takes Paul going to see them. It takes Priscilla and Aquila willing to be a part of what he's called them to do. And so we find in the first part of Acts chapter 18 that it isn't a pep talk from Jesus that Paul gets. It's people. It's people that he surrounds them with to encourage them. And I want to remind you today that we'll do the most good when we're together because it's how we are created to live. Paul comes off of this second missionary journey and he's met with people and he's able to do the most good together because it's how we were created to live. Think about this. Throughout the scriptures, we have this idea of living together in community. And just a cursory reading of the Bible, you'll come away with an understanding that we're created to live together in community. And as you see that, you see what Paul comes in to understand is that as he comes into town, God provides him the grace of other people to encourage him. Sometimes that's the greatest thing you can do is be present in someone's life. Sometimes the greatest gift that you can give to others is the gift of your time. And we'll do the most good together when we're living together because that's how we were created to live. There's no islands, so to speak, in the New Testament. I thought of three people who got alone in the New Testament. Jesus got alone, but that was just to pray. Paul got alone usually because he was in prison, but even then he usually had an accomplice or two with him. He got shipwrecked one time and he had a bunch of people with him. And then the last person I could think of in the New Testament who got alone was a guy named John, and he was exiled or expelled to Patmos because he was a Christian. So those are the three instances I can think of where we see people alone by themselves in the New Testament. Every other time you see people living together in community, and community is hard, and I'll hopefully encourage you of why it's so important in just a minute. Psalm 133 reminds us that it's good and pleasant when people live in unity. And so Paul is met with people to encourage him that they're able to do the most good together because they're together. And it says in verse 4 that every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And we know from other scriptures that Priscilla and Aquila played a part in that persuasion. In verse 5 it goes on to say that when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. So Paul left Silas and Timothy earlier on in the second missionary journey, and they come back and they meet him in Corinth. And we don't exactly know why they were late or what they were doing, but they show up late, and they encourage Paul to go out and use his gifting. And I love this about Silas and Timothy because they come, and whether they brought a gift of money or whether they just chose to work, it doesn't really matter. They came and did their part so that Paul could do his part. 
The second thing you need to understand is that we'll do the most good when we're together because we're able to use our gifts best. We're able to use our gifts best. If Silas and Timothy had not showed up, Paul would have continued to have to be a tent maker, which is okay. He, he never wanted to be a burden to anybody. But he gives us this example of what it looks like for Silas and Timothy to come along and to do their part so that Paul could do his part. Just a reminder, a gift is something that we receive. And a talent is something we work on or that we hereditarily take on, right? You're, you're really tall and good at basketball because your dad was really tall and good at basketball. But a gift is something we receive. And we learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that, that each one of us as Christians is given a gift to, to build up the church, right? It's not that we would hold on to that gifting for ourselves, but we would actually use that to help the church. And we see this, right? Silas and Timothy show up, and Paul's able to do what he's really good at, and Silas and Timothy are doing what they're really good at. And when we do that, we'll do the most good together because everybody's able to do their part the best way. When you're playing your part the best way, I can play and use my gifting the best way, and vice versa. And so we see this incredible example of this because in 1 Corinthians it says that each person's given a gift for the building up or the edification or the building up of the church, and you can't live out your gifting alone. It's given to help build up the church. And so I would just encourage you today, if you don't know what your gifting is, I, I've put behind me, there's a QR code that you can scan with your phone. Open your camera and take a little snapshot of that. And if you don't know what your gifting is, it's a spiritual gifts test. Now, this is not the Bible. Um, it is not, don't take this and be like, this is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. But it's a tool. And if you don't know, I would encourage you to do this. It takes about 15 minutes to do. And what I love about this, this assessment is, is that it gives you not only what a gifting could be, but how your gifts interrelate with other people and how you can best use your gifting. If you've never done this before, you've got to do it. It's, it's not, not the gospel, but it is super helpful for doing this. When we understand what our giftings are, we can play our part better in the church. And so if you'll scan that and take that later, or if I get really boring, you can do it now. Um, It'll be really helpful because we'll do the most good together when we're able to use our gifts best. Uh, proof of this, every once in a while, the business world gets in on what the church has been saying for 2,000 years. In 2012, Google announced this Project Aristotle. And what they did is they interviewed 180 teams in their organization to find out. They wanted to basically build like a super team. And as they sought to build this super team, they, they watched like who they ate lunch with, they, they watched what kind of TV shows they were a part of and what they were spending their spare time doing. They, they saw who were the most gifted people in their groups, and they thought, well, we'll get all the really gifted people and put them all on one team, and that'll, that'll give us a super team. Do you know what they found out? It didn't matter who was on the team. They figured out that what they called the teams that were the most psychologically safe were the ones that excelled the most. The teams where everyone had something to offer, where everyone mattered, those were the most successful teams. Well, I don't know if you've read lately in 1 Corinthians, but it sounds awful a lot like what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you flip over there real quick, you'll see what he says about not so much a team, but a church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24 says, but God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts, and here's the part that Google figured out, should have equal concern for each other. 
If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part's honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. What we know from Paul's teaching, what we know from that Google figured out is that the teams that were the most effective weren't the ones with the smartest and the fastest and the best looking people on the team. It was the ones where it was a safe place, that everybody's opinion mattered, that everyone's gifting was used. And we see that in the church as well, that we'll do the most good when our gifting is able to be shining because I'm able to do what I am called to do and you're able to do what you're called to do. And as we look back at Acts chapter 18, Paul's doing what he does best, which is make people mad. And uh, in verse, <laughs> verse 6, we find out what happens. Now, it's not that Paul was necessarily good at making people mad. He was good at sharing what made people mad, which was the gospel. And in verse 6, it says, When they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to him, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Seems pretty harsh uh, and a little strange that he would shake out his clothes. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, this was a way to, to convey disgust and uh, kind of like, I'm done with you. And he shakes off his clothes. He had just uh, started to be preaching again and telling them that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't want to hear any part of that. So he shakes his clothes off. And then he says, your blood be on your own heads, which is another pretty um, intense statement. And what he's doing is he's quoting Ezekiel as Ezekiel was, as a prophet of God, was trying to tell people, like, this God, is, you need to take this seriously. He would often say that same phrase. And so Paul tells the, the people there in Corinth in the, in the synagogue, he says, look, this is on you. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And the cool part is he doesn't have to go far. He goes next door. Verse 7 says, Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. And Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So he does away with the Jews there. It's not that he's completely done because we know the next town he goes to, he starts again. It's a pattern of Paul's ministry. He goes to the Jews first, and then he goes to the rest of the people. But he, he goes literally next door to Titius Justice's house, and he starts preaching. And not only does that guy come to know the Lord. But then Crispus, the synagogue leader, so the next door neighbor, the, 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 the neighbor dynamics for this had to be really interesting because you have the synagogue and then this guy opens up his house and these people are starting to come. And it says not only does Crispus and his whole family, but it says that many of the Corinthians heard Paul, believed, and were baptized. What Paul was speaking of was not just a historical belief of Jesus, but a belief that literally transformed their lives. And as this happens, it starts an a avalanche, so to speak, in the Corinthian culture. It didn't fix all of their problems, we know, but there was a movement of Christians among these people. And when he talks about that they believed and were baptized, it wasn't just a historical belief that Jesus was there, but it was a belief that changed the way in which they lived. It was a belief that what Jesus Christ did on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, it took care of that sin problem. The cross of Jesus Christ bridged the sin problem and, and where God is here. And these people started to believe and understand that. And then they were baptized. The 24 times that you see baptism in the, new, in the book of Acts, there's always the idea that they believed Jesus first and then they were baptized. And if you've not believed Jesus in the sense of that he's Lord, I would encourage you to do that today. And if you have questions about that, I'd love to stay down and talk to you after the fact. If you have believed and you haven't been baptized, that's the next thing you need to do. 
And I encourage you to do that. I'd love to help you with that as well today. But Paul goes right next door. He's not discouraged. He goes right next door. He's using his gifting to the best that he is able to. And people start to trust Jesus. Goes on in verse 9. Things start to improve. But for whatever reason, the, the, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and said, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. Paul is told by Jesus to not be afraid, but to keep on going. I think that the two things that Jesus told Paul are two things that he would probably tell us as well today. That I am with you, and that I have many people in this city. You see, we'll do the most good when we're together because we'll be encouraged to keep going. And what encouraged Paul was that there was the presence of Jesus and the promise of more people coming into the kingdom. That's what encouraged Paul. You have the encouragement of, of Titius Justus, and you have the encouragement of Crispus, and you have the encouragement of many other Corinthians believing Jesus. And then Paul interacts with Jesus and he's reminded that I'm with you. And then there's also more people in this city. He was encouraged to keep going because he saw what was coming together. In a community sense, he saw Titus, Titus coming along and Crispus coming along and the other Corinthians coming along. And then Jesus tells him, there's going to be even more people coming together. You can't give up, you can't stop, and the greatest good that we could do is to share the gospel with people who so desperately need it. And so we'll do the most good when we're together because we'll be encouraged to keep going to do what we've been called to do. The greatest good that we can share. And I would argue that the, the best way for us to share the greatest good that we can share is together. Because there are people that you will reach that I will never reach. There are people, John and I, we do not have a lot of people showing up throughout the week here just busting down the door to talk to us that want to know about Jesus. But you interact with people every single day that we'll never get the chance to be with. So it's true that we'll do the most good when we're together and we'll be encouraged to keep going, but if we all play our part and we, we lean into the gifting of one another, we'll see People come to know the Lord. Paul saw it in his life. I think we'll see it in our lives as well. As he saw the promise of more people coming, that encouraged him to keep going. And that works best when we're together. And so I would just encourage you to play your part, and I'll play my part, and leave the rest up to God. It says in verse 11, So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. This was the second longest stay of Paul's ministry. And if you know anything about the church in Corinth, it was um, some of his most trusted friends came out of Corinth, and some of the craziest people he ever did, dealt with, came out of Corinth. Which is such an encouragement to me that Jesus met Paul in Corinth, of all places. If you've become disillusioned with people over the past nine months, if you've become disillusioned with the way people behave over the past few weeks, 
Can I just encourage you that Jesus met Paul in one of the most frustrating experiences of his ministry and told him that I'm with you and there's more people, so do not stop because these are the people who I'm going to save. And it wouldn't be unlike God at all to save the people that you can't stand most. Right? Think about Paul. First century Christians couldn't stand the guy. And God redeems that man. And we're reading about his life today. And so it's not unlike God to redeem the people that we can't stand the most. But the truth is, is that we'll only reach those people if all of us play our part together. We'll only reach those people if all of us lean into the gifting that God has given us that will work together to do that. And I love that, that Jesus meets Paul in the most difficult of ministry circumstances, among the most frustrating of people. And I believe that he would say to you and to me the same thing that he told Paul. I'm with you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit with you today. You have the people of God around you, and there's more people in this city who need Jesus. And whatever that was, whatever happened here in Acts 18 was a catapult for the rest of Paul's life to the day that he was martyred for Jesus Christ. And I believe it's because God brought Priscilla and Aquila, and he brought the people around him, Crispus and Titius Justus, and he encouraged him to keep going, and I want to encourage you to do the exact same thing today. So if you're like, well, what do we do with all this? Here's what I would encourage you to do. If you've never taken an assessment, take the assessment, not because it's important, but because you need to know what your gifting is. Um, here's the cool part. One of the jobs of the church is to help equip you for ministry and works of service. And one of the, the great joys of our job as a, as a ministry team is to help others figure out how they fit into that. And so take that and come, come talk to me or John or Kyle or Wes or anybody here and figure out how you can use your gifting in the way that you can best. If you're online, just a, a, a word to you. Your gifting is not limited because you're on your couch watching this right now. Matter of fact, I called somebody this week and I thought, I'm going to encourage somebody this week. How nice of me. <laughs> Twelve seconds into the phone call, the lady I called, who I hadn't seen in nine months, was encouraging me. And as I sat there on the other end of the line and realized, your gifting is not limited. So if you're watching this online today, just because you're quarantined, or just because you can't be with us today, or just because you haven't been with us in nine months, doesn't mean God can't use your gifting in the lives of others. You have a phone, you have FaceTime, you have an email, you have all kinds of ways God can use you to encourage and lift up the people around you. For those of us who are blessed with the ability to be here today, it ought to free us up even more to go out and do what God's called us to do. If you struggle with the idea of community, I get it, it's hard, it's frustrating. It's difficult, but the benefits so far outweigh the negatives. And so if you're not in some sort of group, you can go back to our small group booth there. There are also discipleship groups. You can bear women's groups, women's groups. Find a way to get involved today and let other people be an encouragement to you and allow God to use you to be an encouragement to them. And I think that you'll see God do some incredible things, but not only that, but we'll do the most good when we're together. One, because it's how we were created to live. Two, because it's where our gifts shine the best. And three, is because that's the encouragement we will need to keep going. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity today to be reminded with a tangible expression from your word about how you've called us to live. And God, I love that you give us examples like this so that we can see what's best for our lives. God, help us not to buy into Satan's lie that we're better off alone. And I pray specifically for my brothers and sisters who are not able to be with us today. 
that they would be reminded that they're, they're not alone, that they have you, that they have us, and that though we can't maybe physically be together, that, God, we can check on one another, we can still minister to one another, we still love one another. And so, God, I pray for each and every person in this room, God, if they don't know their gifting, that they would seek that out and begin to learn and understand what that looks like. If they do, God, I pray that they'd lean into it. If they've stayed on the sidelines, I pray that they would get in the game. I pray that you'd help them to, to find areas and places in their lives that they could be an encouragement to others. God, we're so thankful for the reminder that you gave Paul that you're with him and that there's more people in this city. And God, as we wrestle with what that means for our own individual lives, I pray that we would play our part well this week. To stay in step with you, and to be image bearers and to share the gospel in whatever ways that you lead us to. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.